Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Derek O'Reilly, and for over 30 years, I've been a licensed London taxi driver. For 20 years, I taught the knowledge to prospective London cab drivers. During this podcast, I'm going to be joined by experts who are going to bring the forgotten and secret history of London to life. Today I'm joined by a guest and we're going to discuss the suffragette movement, particularly in London. Hi, I'm Una Gay. I'm one of the footprints of London Guides and I specialise in political and women's history. You can find my walks on the Footprints of London website or you can email me on una.gay at icloud.com. Good morning, Una. Hello. Well, Una, like most people, obviously I'm aware of the suffragette movement um, and obviously various events that happened throughout the process. Um, let me start with asking you, was it specifically um, in London or was it a national movement? It was always a national movement. In fact, the Women's Social and Political Union was founded by the Pankhursts in Manchester but they realised in order to influence the political debate, they would have to come to London. But there were suffragette branches across the United Kingdom, including Scotland, where it was quite powerful, uh, and, and in Wales. So, yeah, and at various times there were marches across the country to come to London, but also rallies in every city. Okay, so before we sort of become specific about areas of London, let's just discuss some of the main people. I mean, everybody's heard of Emily Pankhurst. That's right, yes. Emmeline led the WSPU, but it's important to realise she only held the, the confidence of probably a minority of women uh, trying to work for the vote because many women were actually repelled by the direct action tactics of suffragettes like smashing windows and so on. And there was a, a larger movement run by Millicent Fawcett, who'd been campaigning really since the 1860s for women to get the vote, but that was through petitions and marches and not direct action. And there was yet another group called the Women's Freedom League, uh, which had broken away from the WSPU because they didn't they objected to the authoritarian tactics of the Pankhursts. 
Right, okay. And did these groups have any assimilation or do they remain totally independent of each other? They worked together quite informally. So they they didn't attack each other in public. Um, And women could start in one movement and end up in another or change their mind about direct action and and move backwards and forwards. So it was a broad church movement. Right. So what I'd like to do now, as you know, I'm a London taxi driver. So I'd like to have a little tour with you around some of the more interesting places that would feature during a suffragette tour. Absolutely. Well, I think the place to start would be in um, the LSE area of Kingsway. If you if you go down uh, to an area called Clare Market, you will find the Economist bookshop there. That's a new building. It replaces where St. Stephen's Press was. And that was where the suffragette Votes for Women Weekly was produced. Um, and that was funded by a man. And it's interesting how men are often written out of the suffragette story. But there was a wealthy man called Frederick Pethick Lawrence, who, along with his wife, also Emmeline, who converted him to the cause, uh, he funded a lot of the suffragette activity. He paid fines for many of the women who who were had up for public order offences. And Frederick, along with Emmeline, also went to prison in 1912 for various public order offences. So um, there were men behind the suffragette movement as well. And just about 20 or 30 yards from where the bookshop is, there's a still remaining building, uh, which was the Teacup Inn. And that was run by women as a tea shop. Interesting name, isn't it? It's a very good name. And we know about it because you can see adverts for it in Votes for Women. Oh, and right. tea shops were really very important in laying the groundwork for the suffragettes because women needed to meet places. They couldn't go to pubs. It wasn't respectable for women to go to pubs. And not only did they want refreshments, but they wanted to go to the toilet. And so you could go to a tea shop and go to the toilet discreetly. You could go to meetings. You could look at leaflets there. You know, before the internet, you had to go to cafes and shops like that in order to to meet people. So if you were new to London, you would know to go to the Teacup Inn, see when the next meeting was, go and collect your Votes for Women newspapers to sell on the street, just like big issue sellers do today, and you could be part of a social movement. What was the public reaction? I mean, you you said selling newspapers on the streets. I mean, were the general public sympathetic or were they...? It was a bit of a mixture, I think. In in general, I think most most people thought that women should have some vote. Uh, Maybe in local elections, they were keener on that because that was to do with housing and social services and things like that. And there was a certain amount of scepticism that women would understand taxation and foreign (laughs) policy, which was a genuine scepticism nowadays, which seems very strange. But there was this division of opinion. But many people were repelled by direct action. It's like any protest movement, you know, that we have today. 
day environmental today some people it makes them more sympathetic and some people they just think what a nuisance it's got yeah. my way so it would have been so pretty it's much quite that divisive time. so yeah. it's very similar also the women standing out selling newspapers they're normally from nice middle class homes where this would have been outrageous activity right, of course. for you know a young lady who should be going to tea parties and helping the vicars so some families were supportive but others were very hostile okay so una if we come out of past the london school of economics and clear market let's carry on our little walk yeah we'll go down to well we'll we'll go back up kingsway and we'll go to a surviving building called lincoln house which was the second headquarters of the wspu because they had a split with the pethick lawrences who were funding them up to uh, 1912 when mm. Emmeline decided, Emmeline Pankhurst decided, no, we're going to go for arson. And from 1913 onwards, suffragettes would set fire to pillar boxes and and sports grounds. They even tried to bomb the Chancellor of the Exchequer's holiday home. And the Pethick Lawrence has said, no, no, that's going too far. We don't mind a bit of direct action, but not terrorism as they saw it. Right. So the second headquarters was raided by the police in 1913 and there's a there's a lovely contemporary photo from the mirror showing this really young woman called Grace Rowe being arrested by the Met because they were trying to find out who was funding uh, the movement. Would there have been sort of informers and infiltrators in the There would definitely have been infiltrators, yeah, because the police were coming under a lot of pressure from the government to find out what the suffragettes were really up to. And they were moving into quite dangerous territory. They were procuring explosives, for example. Right. Is uh, there any idea where they were getting these from? There's never really been a full explanation. I mean, there's some interesting theories, but it, it, there's, we've ne- we don't fully know who was supplying them with material. And we still don't fully know who was funding them because a lot of the papers were lost at the time. There were okay. there were wealthy men and women who were willing to fund the suffragettes but were not willing to go to prison and go on hunger strike. So, you know, they wanted to keep their support discreet. One of the people that did support them, by the way, was Gordon Selfridge. Uh, oh, right. And he displayed the suffragette colours in, in his windows, which was a clever tactic, because it meant that Selfridge's windows were never smashed by the suffragettes. Good idea. So, you know, he, he, he was a clever businessman. I'm sure he believed in it yeah. uh, in his heart as well. Yeah. So um, in 1913, Emmeline Pankhurst was sentenced to three years in jail for conspiracy. Which jail would that have been? It would have been Holloway. Holloway, OK. And her daughter Christabel had to flee to Paris because otherwise she would have been picked up and and, and put in prison as well. So on the eve of the First World War, they really were acting like a terrorist organisation. And we really don't know what would have happened if the First World War hadn't broken out because in some ways they were losing support through the arson campaign uh, and they they weren't popular with Millicent Fawcett, the leader of, of what were called the suffragists, the peaceable ones, because they seem to be contaminating the brand. So it's always a big unanswered question. Yes, I suppose like what in any sort of movement, next? you know, some people want pacifism and other people want yeah, action. Yeah, you get yeah. the division. Yeah, and, and that division carried over when we got to the First World War because a number of suffragettes became pacifists. Uh, okay. Whereas Emmeline Pankhurst became very pro-war 
Uh, and there was a secret treaty between her and the government on the outbreak of war in August 1914, which enabled all suffragettes still in Holloway and other prisons to be released. And in return, she pledged support that she would help people join up uh, and, and support the war movement. Right, OK. So let's move on from uh, Kingsway, Lincoln House. Where yep. are you going to take me to next? Where I'm going to take you to next is... Um, Australia House okay. on the Strand Interesting. because I want to talk about what was happening in Australia and New Zealand. New Zealand was the first country in the world in 1893 to give women the vote. And when the Australian Republic was formed, because, you know, it's a federation of states in 1901, it also gave women the vote. I should say white women. We're not talking about indigenous natives. Right, OK. That took much longer. So you get a stage where two colonies of the United Kingdom have given women the vote, but the United Kingdom hasn't. And that's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? Yes, it is. You Why do you think um, Australia and New Zealand were so enlightened in their views? Well, some of it were the type of women that were out there. If you think about it, they're frontier women. They'll be running sheep uh, farms. Yeah. They're not like Edwardian women who, who'd be sitting on sofas and, and having tea parties. They're, they're working women. But also, they formed an alliance with parties who were temperance, who were anti-alcohol. They wanted to regulate alcohol. And they basically said to these parties, if you give us the vote, we will vote for temperance. And I don't want to give in to stereotypes, but you can imagine there was already a big alcohol problem in Australia yes, yeah, and New yeah. Zealand. So in 1906, this Australian actress called Muriel Matters came over to England to help her career. And she was astonished to discover she didn't have the vote here. And she got up to some of the more daring um, activities, direct action. Give she, me some examples. She managed to lock herself to the grill, which um, covered the ladies' uh, gallery. Ladies could look into the House of Commons at Westminster, uh, but they had to sit behind a grill. Uh, right. And she locked herself to the grill and made a fantastic speech into the chamber in favour of women getting the vote. And uh, the security guards couldn't get her off the grill. In the end, they had to unscrew the whole grill and carry her and the grill into a committee room. <laughs> a great story. So it's great. And her other one was on the King's speech, the opening of Parliament. She hired an airship. And she went up over London, scattering leaflets, saying votes for women, you know, so oh, it just shows what, yeah. what a gutsy woman yeah, she really was. She settled in uh, in England, but never actually, and tried to stand for Parliament, but she never actually got elected. Right, shame. so let's move on from Australia House. Lovely yeah, story. Yeah, we can move on down the Strand, because that was one of the areas where windows were smashed. Right. And that is an interesting story. A suffragette started smashing windows of cabinet ministers initially, and then that got much harder because they were placed under 24-hour police guard. So they moved on to department stores because they got lovely big windows and it was difficult to guard all of them. Uh, and being women, of course, they went to evening classes because that's what women like to do. And they learned about how to smash windows safely <laughs> so you weren't going to get people caught with uh, flying glass. Right. And they had little toffee hammers that you would use to break the toffee on um, apples. Uh, to, to tap all around the top and the side of the glass. Um, but there was a bit of a deeper reason for um, window smashing as well as just creating a, a, 
a fight. And we've got some reminiscences from a working class suffragette called Alice Hawkins, who came from Leicester. She was a bootmaker in Leicester. And she wrote to her husband, I'd much rather smash a window than be assaulted myself. You know, I'd rather go to jail for having done something than because the policeman's picked me up from a demonstration. And and this yeah. was a reference to what happened in 1910, when a lot of women tried to peaceably get into Westminster, to flood Westminster. Uh, the Home Secretary was Winston Churchill. He, he wanted to make a name for himself. He called up a lot of police from the East End of London, who, shall we say, used more sort of physical tactics than the West End of London. Right, yeah. And there were lots of allegations of sexual assault after that, so much so that Churchill decided he wasn't going to prosecute any of the women. Um, were there women members of the police force at this time? No, they women first joined the police in the First World War. Right, OK. But there, so, no, there weren't any women and right. a lot of women were quite appalled at the way in which they were treated yeah, by the Met. Yeah. Um, you know, it... it 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 didn't make it very much into graphic no. descriptions. But no. there again, there was a lovely Daily Mirror photo of a suffragette who's already lying on the floor being kicked by a metropolitan police officer and a man in a top hat trying to restrain. I think I've seen him. that picture. Yeah, it's quite yeah. a famous picture. Yes, I think I've seen That's it. That's where the suffragettes benefited. It's a great era for press photos. You can get some wonderful black and white photos. And okay. that's what direct action people are always trying to do. They're trying to make the headlines. Yes, yeah. It's no yeah. good just having a, a rally or a meeting and so on. You make headlines when you disrupt yes. daily life. And that, you know, some people will repel by it and other people it attracts. Yeah, I think it's a balance. I it's suppose balance. you have to get attention. Yeah, do you Absolutely. get the balance right? So if we leave the Strand, where are we going to go to next? We're going to go to um, Catherine Street, number six Catherine Street. That's coming up towards Covent Garden. Okay, so just off the Aldwych just into Covent Garden. Just off the Aldwych, yeah. that's right. And that was where the Gardenia Vegetarian Restaurant was. Tell Vegetarianism me more. was associated with suffragettes. Why? Why? <clears throat> because... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It was part of a sort of new physical movement of liberation of women, really. If you think back to the 1870s, 1880s, women are able to get on bicycles for the first time and cycle around without having a chaperone. They have to wear divided dresses so they can start wearing trousers. Everything starts to free up, and there's lots of contemporary references to new women and a new interest in what they're eating as well. So uh, many women, like today, in fact, there are always more women than men who are interested in vegetarianism. But the gardenia was like at the Teacup Inn. It was somewhere where suffragettes could meet, and Emmeline Pankhurst does mention it in her autobiography. It was particularly famous because on the night of the 2nd of April 1911, when it was the 10 yearly census, a number of women decided they weren't going to have their names recorded where they lived because if the state didn't treat them as a grown-up and give them a vote, why should they be treated as a grown-up and and listed in the census? Makes sense, yeah. So across the road from the Gardenia... Um, it's gone now, it's in the Aldwych, but there was an enormous roller skating rink and, and that was a real passion of the Edwardians. They love roller skating, they called it rinking. So we know from police spy reports that there were 200 women and 30 men who spent the night roller skating rather than be registered and then they came over to the Gardenia to get a cup of tea and a sandwich and then go back to uh, the roller skating. So it's just to make the point that it wasn't all being hunger, you know, going on hunger strike. You could have a good time as a suffragette. It was a larger movement, uh, you know, and it it would take over your social life. Yeah, you mentioned earlier about the class um, system. Was... Was it mainly middle class women or did it transcend class? It transcended class. But if you went to prison, you were much more likely to be middle class because you could afford it. If you were a working class suffragette like Alice Hawkins, she did go to prison, but only because her husband was prepared to look after the children. But I mean, if you were a working class woman, you went to prison, you would lose your children. Right. Uh, you would you would need to support them. Yeah. There, it, uh, The Pankhursts had a very erratic political course. They started off supporting the Labour Party and they ended by supporting the Conservative Party. So um, if several working class women there therefore weren't particularly interested in them because the Labour Party, for example, that was just forming was interested more in making sure that all men got the vote because up to half of the men at the time didn't have a vote. They were lodgers. They didn't qualify. It was the First World War which made all men get the vote. Yeah, because prior to that, it was property-related, It was property-related. So if you didn't... If, if you rented furnished... You didn't have, you didn't, you wouldn't appear on the rate register, so you couldn't get a vote. Right. Okay. So let's leave Catherine Street. Yeah, and now we're going to go up to what used to be the Bow Street Magistrates Court, where all sorts of people. Nice posh hotel now. Yeah. 
but Casanova and the Cray Street and the Cray Twins. Well, I think Mick Jagger made and an appearance Mick Jagger, there. everyone who was everyone made an appearance at one point there. And there, of course, did Emmeline and Christabel was the first time they were sent to prison in 1908. They got three months in Holloway. Right. Uh, and boy, Holloway had a bit of a shock when they arrived because Holloway were used to working class prisoners you know, a bit of shoplifting, a bit of prostitution. Suddenly they had very articulate women who wanted to know their rights. And right from the start, they wanted political prisoner status. They wanted to be able to wear their own clothes. Shades of the IRA hunger strike issues of the, you know, late 70s, 70s, early 80s. They didn't win that one. Emmeline spent three months nearly in, in solitary confinement. But the following year, an artist called Marion Wallace Dun- Dunlop was locked up in Holloway and spontaneously she started a hunger strike and she got released within 48 hours. Wow, so as quick then, as that. Yeah. So other suffragettes then started saying, mm, this is quite a good idea. We'll, we'll try that. And it became an organised thing that if you were considered to be healthy, or you considered yourself healthy enough to withstand it, you would go on hunger strike. The authorities then had to bring in force feeding. Right. Were there many fatalities as a result of hunger strikes? There weren't strikes? any fatalities in prison, and the authorities were quite paranoid about that. But several women had their um, digestions ruined for oh, life. Yeah. Sylvia okay. Pankhurst, the younger daughter of Emmeline, she never ate properly again. She she was force-fed over 100 times. And remember, there's no plastic. We're talking about heavy rubber mm. tubes going Painful. not only into your mouth, but I'm afraid also up your bum. Right. So, again, it wasn't something that suffragettes talked about very much in public because it, it wasn't done, but in private. Yeah, very unpleasant experience. Ex- incredibly unpleasant. But in, on the other hand, the authorities did a good job in making sure that no one actually died because they knew that yeah. would... Um, we'll come back to some of the other characters um, in the movement later, Una. Let's carry on with our little trip around London. Yeah, I, I take you up to Covent Garden Station where okay. we meet an interesting woman called Ethel Ayres Purdy, who was the first woman to qualify as an accountant in London. And she supported her husband. We don't know why her husband didn't work, but he didn't. And she was rather annoyed to discover that an income tax demand was given to her husband rather than her. Um, And of course, (laughs) she was working, but he gets the demand. Yeah, and that was the position until the 80s, if you remember, if you were married, you you had a tax, you filled your tax in and. your husband filled filled in the return. You know, we can't. It seems mad now. Yeah, but it yeah, and it's quite a recent. Long time. Re- isn't it was it? quite recent. Yeah, but she was. Um, uh, she provided the financial brains behind the the Women's Tax Resistance League, which was trying to um, say, well, look, I'm not going to pay my rates until you give me uh, the franchise. And one of the more prominent women associated with that movement was actually a Sikh princess. So this is a woman called Sonia Duleep Singh, who had been a goddaughter of Queen Victoria. Her father had been one of the um, Indian princes who'd lost his uh, throne due to, you know, British taking over India. Right. 
Um, so she actually had all her goods possessed when she refused to pay the rates. And she's she's an interesting example of a, a non-white woman who was caught up in the suffragette movement. But if we move further down um, towards Endell Street, we're heading towards Bloomsbury now, we come to a, a plaque on the side of what is the Oasis Sports Centre and some associated council housing. And that's where the Suffragette Hospital operated in the First World War, which is an absolutely brilliant story. Okay, please tell me. Uh, It was set up by Fiona Murray and Louisa Garrett Anderson. Now, Louisa was the daughter of the first woman to qualify as a doctor, Elizabeth Garrett Anderson. Of course, there used to be her hospital hospital on Euston Road. Um, now, and they were both involved in suffragette activities and were sent to jail just before the First World War. But when the war broke out, they went to the war office and said, we can do something, we're doctors. And the war office said, go home and knit socks. <laughs> but the following year, such was the level of casualties they were having coming through from the trenches that the war office gave them what had been a workhouse on that site and said, OK, run it as a hospital We'll get you the the troops will come in from Charing Cross on on ambulance trains, bring them straight up here, and they they treated twenty six thousand patients oh, along quite a with number. yeah along with a whole host about thirty other doctors from England, Scotland, but also South Africa, uh, Australia, and so on. And they ran it as a suffragette project. Everybody who worked there was women, apart from a few men that we used for the really heavy lifting. Yeah. Uh, So they had the sort of suffragette colours, purple, green, white over the hospital. They used actresses from the Actresses Franchise League to entertain the the troops. And and it was very much in your face. Yeah, women can do anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But after the war, none of them practised as surgeons. The the men came back and, and they got pushed out. Well, I know from my own um, knowledge that uh, women were allowed to drive taxis in London during the First World Mm. War. Mm. And ironically, as soon as the war was over, the carriage office um, revoked all their licences and wouldn't allow them to continue driving taxis. So I suppose it was across the field. It was across the board. And even in football, women's football was popular in the First World War. But in 1920, the FA banned it from all their grounds. And that stood till 1970. Yeah, it's becoming popular again. And now it's really popular. My daughter plays football. She loves it. Yeah, I watched Arsenal women beat Spurs women last night. So there we are. Um, Okay, so let's come out of the hospital. Yeah, we're going to move towards our final stop now, which is up at St George's in Bloomsbury. On Bloomsbury Way, I know And that is a a lovely church built by Nicholas Hawksmoor, the only church with with George I on the top of the spire. Mm. Um, But it was where um, Emily Wilding Davison's funeral was held. Now, before we discuss the funeral, can you tell me what happened to Emily Wilding Davidson? Yes. Now, she was a prominent suffragette and she decided to go to the Derby down in Epsom and draw attention to the suffragette cause. We still don't know whether she meant to kill herself or not. The chances are she didn't because she had a return ticket to Epsom. She went off to Lincoln House. She got a flag and a a banner and so on. And she went down and she tried to disrupt the race where the King's Horse was competing, but she got trampled to death. There is still some Pathé News footage of that. 
Um, and it looks like she misunderstood how fast and how heavy a race horse really is. She didn't die immediately. It took about 48 hours. It was a horrible death, really. Yeah, she never spoke again. She was unconscious. So her funeral was held at St George's in Bloomsbury. Yeah, the, the suffragettes thought, well, this is a massive propaganda opportunity, isn't it? So mm. 5,000 suffragettes dressed in white met the coffin when it came in at Victoria. They marched across central London, brought it to Bloomsbury, where the Clergy League for Suffrage Reform had their headquarters. And then after the funeral, the body went off to King's Cross, where it was put on... The the coffin was put on a train to Morpeth in Northumberland, where a poor mother met the coffin and what she must have felt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dreadful. Yeah, terrible. Quite an iconic image. Though, yeah, but it, it's it. an unforgettable image. Yeah. And again, we've got great photos yeah. of, of the event. So before we finish, can we just touch on some of the other characters and famous people I've heard connected with this movement? Yeah. Um, Charlotte Despard. Yes, now she was a remarkable Irish woman. After her husband died, she decided to devote the rest of her life to good causes, one of which was women getting the vote. Uh, and she was one of the leaders of the Women's Freedom League that broke away from uh, the Pankhurst movement in 1907 after Emmeline had made it clear that she ran the movement and there wasn't any democracy, thank you very much. So she uh, helped organise a lot of direct action stunts that um, the Freedom League did. Uh, during the war, she was a noted pacifist, although her brother was involved in um, leading the British Expeditionary Force in, in France. That was um, General French. And okay. then after the war... She was a Republican and was involved in the campaign for women uh, for Ireland to become independent. She settled in Dublin. Right. Now, another lady who was also associated with that struggle was Countess Markovich. Yes. Countess Markovich ha was associated for a long time with the struggle for, women, for Ireland to become independent. But she was also, at the same time, a suffragette. She would have been shot after the Easter Rising where the Republicans seized Dublin for a couple of weeks, but she was a woman. Uh, however, when um, women finally got the vote and were allowed to stand as candidates for MPs, she was actually still locked up in Holloway for other terrorist-related offences and she conducted the whole campaign to get elected in Dublin from her Holloway jail and she was actually the first woman MP. But like the other... Uh, MPs elected for Sinn Féin in 1918. They all boycotted the Westminster Parliament and set up the first Doyle or, or Parliament in, in Dublin. But people have heard of Nancy Astor. She was the first woman to take her seat, but Markovich pips her to the post in terms of being the first woman MP. So um, in terms of dates, when did the movement sort of end? Well, women over 30 got the vote in 1918, or most women, there was, still had to be a property qualification. And that was done, uh, there was an age difference. Men over 21, all men over 21 got the vote in 1918. But it was decided you couldn't have more women voters than men voters. So it took another 10 years for women over 21 to be given equality. 
1928. In the 20s, the suffragette movement morphed into a more general feminist movement looking for rights over guardianship uh, and, and separation and particularly getting into the professions. There was another act in 1918 which opened professions like law to women where previously uh, it had been denied them. So it, it's been a long struggle. Uh, and of course, it's not till 1975 that you get the uh, the Equal Pay Act. You know, so yeah. um, many feminists were saying... Some would argue still, the struggle's still, still going, going on today. On. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. But generally, the First World War came along. It changed the politics entirely. The government had to do something about the soldiers in the trenches, not all of whom had the vote. That meant there had to be a, a, a voting act as soon as the war ended. And so the women got in again and said, don't forget about us, especially as we've done such a lot for the war effort because, like you said, they drove taxis, they were conductors on buses, they were munitions workers handling really dangerous yeah. material. So you could hardly say that women couldn't do men's jobs if it was necessary. Una, absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much indeed. Good. Lovely to talk to you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.